When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jumping up to the top of today's podcast to let you know that Mark discussed some pretty heavy topics in this episode and may be triggering to some listeners. If you need resources or support, go to beyondblue.org. Or for 24-hour free counselling in Australia, the number for Lifeline is 13 11 14. Please look after yourself. I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. Everything that was negative that was happening in my life, there was one common theme. Footballer, boxer, a boy from the bush. My name's Joe Williams. I'm a First Nations Wiradjuri man. Suicides are crippling our communities. This is the thing, Mark, is that there's more money than ever in mental health, right? And the conversation about mental health now is louder than ever, right? But we're dying more than ever. He found himself in a dark place. Booze, drugs, fighting and football. You get those three together, you got a problem. I've been challenged with this, what I call the enemy within since I was a very young age. And what happened with, as that voice got louder, alcohol and the drugs were the band-aid for what was going on in my head. Joe's working hard to ask more than just, are you okay? I think there's so much more that we can that we can do as a community and as families um, about validating emotions. The more I'm doing for others, the more it gives back to me. We've got the oldest documentation of, of human existence here in this country. And you're telling me you don't know a great deal about it. I don't know who to ask. How ironic that the cultures that have been most marginalised throughout the world will be the cultures that we turn to to heal our modern woes. Joe Williams, welcome straight to it, mate. Good to be here, mate. Uh, looking forward to it. So no drink no drink for 17 years. How do you feel about that? 17 years in December. Well, what was the thing that made you decide to get off the drink? Was it was it a traumatic thing that, like, you know, was it just too much? It rock bottom? What happened? Nah, for me, like, everyone, everyone talks about that, you know. And, like, and for me it was, like, I was never, I was never an, an aggressive drunk or 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 a, or a or a messy drunk. Well, probably others would probably disagree, but I, I was just everything. Everything when I was on the drink was problematic, and it was. I got sober when I was playing in the NRL. I got sober in two thousand and five, like, and I went, I went, um, I went almost twelve months, so 10, 11 months sober first, and then. Yeah, I had a. I went mad for about three weeks, and then, and then, uh, and then I, I just can't do it. But the, but the actual, the actual, I guess the initial conversation. I was going there to, uh, you know, the the town Yass. Yeah. The, the Yass Touch knockout um, every year, and 
and I was I'd, I'd play touch when I was a kid and stuff like that. So I was I was with the crew I was with up here. Uh, I was playing with East the, at Queens Park and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and and all of our sort of crew took a team down and and I was there was a there was a guy I was I travelled down with and and he was like he was the noted partier you know and and we'd we'd go out and we'd we'd go mad together. And we're just sitting in the back and, and I said, geez, I haven't seen you for a while, mate. Where where have you been? And he goes, I just don't go out anymore, Joe. I didn't. So what do you mean you don't go out? And I sort of tried, tried to dig a little bit deeper. And he goes, I don't drink anymore. And and to me, and he hadn't been and he hadn't been drinking for two years. So so our lives just went on. And it just it shows when you when you're in those circles and, and then somebody disappears from it, life goes on without. Without yeah, you're not people, that important. You know? You're not important that to the yeah. circle. It's not as important as you think. Yeah, because you, you understand that when you you're sitting in sitting in the same circles, they're telling the same jokes and the same stories oh, about mate, the same it's things. Boring. You know. So um, he said, "I haven't I haven't had a drink for two years," and for, and to me that was just I couldn't I couldn't I just couldn't identify with what that was because it was just. And I wasn't again. It wasn't problematic in my life or, or in my upbringing or anything. Yeah, it didn't like that. land in jail or anything. No, like not even with my upbringing and stuff yeah. like that. Like I'm I'm from a footy family, and mm. and you know we we love a good time, and we're all musos, so we all play you know guitar and pass the guitar around when we'd all sing, and you know to family parties and and Christmases and stuff. And and then I I remember it so distinctly. I said to him, "That's it." Like the over over that weekend, and we played touch on the Saturday and all that, and and I said that's it. When I go home, I'm not going to drink anymore. And he said, "Why don't you stop now?" And it was one of the most confronting questions to me because I just couldn't do it. I was like, "No, nah, I'll give it one more crack." And then I I come home and and went into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and the next day on the Monday. Oh really? Yeah, went in. Yeah, went into the rooms on the Monday because it like because for me like. Every, everything that, that we spoke about and and, and just the, the conversation around alcoholism, right, the conversation around what an alcoholic is, like the, the picture of what we think an alcoholic is, is someone who drinks in the park or or out of a, you know, a, a silver pillow or or someone who's homeless. Like we we, we judge and demonise those people without, without understanding the actual disease of what alcoholism is. And and we started to have the conversation about it and said, well, what? Are, they, are these things problematic for you? Is this what happens to you, Joe? And 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 everything that that we were talking about, I was just like, that that's my story, you know. And then, you know, I, I walked up. Mark, I was playing. I was playing in the NRL at, at that point. You know, I was going. I was I was in the preseason to go in, in go into the into. I think it was oh five or oh six season at South. So. Walking into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, like I had a, my, my hat down and my hoodie on, and like it was just one of those things where I thought, "What if someone recognises me?" You know, just the ego going out of control, you know. Um, and then it, I, I just had, I just knew, and I, I, I tell this story so often. It's like everything that was happening in my life that was problematic, whether it be arguments at home, arguments on the street, arguments and disagreements with everything and everyone, poor form on the footy field, everything that was negative that was happening in my life, there was one common theme. It was alcohol. Just, it's really interesting you say that because um, it's not that you're drunk when you have the problem. It's 
when you're sober but after you've been drinking. Is that what we're talking about? So in other words, how you feel about yourself post-drinking. So you might get on the drink today, sleep it off tonight, wake up tomorrow morning. That's when the problems arise. Or, or, that, or, or when you're on the drink. So it's happening when yeah, you're yeah, when of course. on the drink. Like it's, you know, you're – I was I was a larrikin. I was someone who who who'd like to be the life of the party, that sort of thing, you know. And and there was problematic things with who I was and my behaviour. And we won't get in won't get into that. But I wasn't I wasn't a wonderful person. Yeah. I, I, I'm certainly not the person I am now. Put it that way. How you know, old are you now, Joe? Me. Yeah. Well, do it. Oh yeah. And yeah, I'm, 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 no, I'm 39 this year. 39. Yeah. You look really well. Your, your face. Looks- I had that conversation this week, and you look, and you look fresh. You know, we had um, we had the the twenty year reunion from our Jersey Flag Grand Final yep. recently, right? And um, and 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 a, and a good friend of mine, he said, "Mate, those, some of those guys look old." Yeah, like you look you look younger than what you are. It's always like you get, and Wingy always get asked been drinking out of the same fountain. <laughs> and I always get asked, you know, am I people think that I'm older. It's like because I've been around forever. But um I'm 39 this year and I, and I honestly I, I, I can't say with it, you know, I don't know the science involved in it, but I, I honestly think it's because I haven't had a life of of putting my body through hell um with alcohol and drugs because alcohol and then drugs were a were a, were a real challenge for me, and that's you know I'm, I'm out in I'm out in schools and communities most days of the year talking about that stuff to young people because of the challenges that that, that I faced in my life with it. It's it's um for me it's 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 a double whammy though if you're drinking and or uh, you're drinking or and taking drugs like excessively and regularly which. As you said earlier, it's not the, the the typical view of a an alcoholic, someone who's laying in the street just drinking out of a bag. But as someone who drinks consistently and all the time, and probably over, and does too much when they do do drink, but it's a consistency thing. And same with drugs. But if you the double whammy is if you add that to the fact that you're playing a, a contact game where you get head get hit in the head, from my view. But the, the triple whammy view is you're a fighter, and I I, I just got a view right. Booze, drugs, fighting, boxing that is, jiu-jitsu, boxing, and football. You get those three together, you got a problem potentially. You know, not not everybody has it, but potentially you can have a problem. You're asking for trouble. It's a risk. It's a it's a risk assessment. You're sort of saying, I think there's a risk associated with all that, and uh, you're either going to suffer from depression or it's going to bring some other shit thing on, like something that might be sitting on your genetics might bring it on. Um, and if you scrap one of those, the most important one, and probably boxing needs to be scrapped too because, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we love, you love the fight game, I love the fight game. In fact, when I first met you, you were you were fighting on a, a South Junior night in, um, oh, I can't remember, maybe 15 long years ago. A long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. Natty was there in Garth when I was there with the whole heap of blokes. And, uh, and, and you can't keep, for me, and that was an exo night, an exhibition night, but it doesn't matter. You can't keep fighting and drinking and playing footy at the same time because it's going to have some sort of. I reckon it's going to have some sort of trauma. Maybe not now, but when you're fifty or sixty, and you, and you know people as well as I do who are probably going through those trauma. No one's ever going to prove these things cause 
you know, uh, CTE or, um, you know, whatever these other guys, some guys are dementia, which some of the guys we know are suffering from at the moment. No one's ever going to be able to prove it, but they can't prove it doesn't either. So for me, just saying, okay, I'll eliminate as many risks as I can. The easiest one to eliminate is booze. Just stop drinking. Well, the, well, you say it's the easiest one to eliminate. It's yeah. probably the hardest one. It is the hardest one, right. but it is the easiest one too. Because because it's just so common in everything. In like, our, well, it's in our culture. It's mate. just it's just society. It's our culture, hundred percent, mate. It's you know, like it wasn't so, so long ago that that the State of Origin team was sponsored by, you know, one of the beer companies. Mm. You know, so it's like, that's the biggest challenge. The thing I I wrote an article um, probably twelve months ago, eighteen months ago about um, the challenging relationship that Australia has with alcohol. And just because it's so normalised, and you know, I'm lucky that 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 out of my kids never see me drink, you know. And it's what people don't understand, and this is the you know, this is where behaviours have such an impact on young people in their lives. Is that if you get your young person to go and go to the fridge and, and get it get a beer for you, then that then that subconsciously normalises that behaviour for that young person, right? So then. That young person sees mum or dad or, or or many people drinking alcohol uh, around the kitchen table at night or, or, or after a hard day's work, you know. Dad comes home and has a few beers and, and the young person who's three, four, five-year-old go to the fridge and get dad a beer, it, it normalises that activity. And with the challenges of normalising things like that, added to the challenges of minimising and silencing emotions of young people. When we're, you know, two, three, four-year-old, we always say to our kids, you know, shush, don't, you know, keep quiet. Let's stop, stop crying. crying. Stop crying, you know. Yeah. Wipe the tears out of your eyes. You know, th- that didn't hurt you. Like we, we're forever silencing emotions. And then we not, well, then we add in the normalised behaviour of drinking alcohol, getting alcohol, being, being around alcohol. And then we question why our young people turn to alcohol and all silence emotions, you know, and, and and that's the real challenge with society and how we see it. Society, in the fact that that the mental health rates are crippling, right? Our communities, suicides are crippling our communities, and there's more money. This is the thing, Mark, is that there's more money than ever in mental health, right? Being allocated to mental being health. Being allocated to mental health and but, more organisations and, and, you know, and, and, and things like that. The conversation's louder than it ever has. For me, 15 years ago, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago, when, when, I was, when I was coming into the NRL, there's no way in the world I could sit and say that I've got some voices in my head. Mm. You know, if we think there's a stigma now, think about what it was like back then. You know, so the, so the money and the conversation about mental health now is louder than ever, right? But we're dying more than ever. So what's missing? So 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 what we're doing is not working, is what I'm trying to say, and I and I and I believe I believe we're 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 on the wrong conversation, right? Because we're we're saying to we're saying to older we're saying to 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 men, you know, we should be speaking up about it. We should be talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I I get that. We should be talking about emotions and talking about how we feel. And you mean and, as an are you okay day and all that? Yeah, those thing, sort yeah. of things. We should be doing those yeah. things, right? Without doubt. But are you okay day should be every day. Right, if I walk in and I see someone's not quite right, I'll put my hand out and say, "Is everything all right? What's going on?" Like I'm an I'm, a, I'm an extremely observant sort of person. I'll always I'll always, you know, notice when someone's not right, right. But 
And that's the thing. But then the young people that we're bringing into our life, we're forever silencing their emotions as kids, telling them to be quiet, telling them to get up and wipe the tears out of their eyes and telling them to, you know, to to rub their sore knee, it'll, get, it'll be okay, it didn't hurt you. That's subconsciously telling our kids to be quiet and your feelings aren't valid, right? So if our kids are going, my knee's sore, I had a conversation with a mother, right, and and she said to her young person, get up, that didn't hurt you when she was on the footy field. And I said, how do you know? You've never played footy in your life. You don't know how scary it is for that young boy out there, right? We're forever silencing our kids' emotions and that's the challenge that it brings subconsciously when it's time to actually speak as 15, 16, 17-year-old and then even as 40, 50-year-old men, we're subconsciously listening to that little person that was silenced forever about their emotion. What should you say? What would you suggest then? I mean, like... It's a challenge, isn't it, about about building resilience? Yeah, right? I was so going to say that, yeah. yeah I, I th- I, there's, there's a fine line with it because if we wrap cotton, uh, kids up in cotton wool, then, you know, we'll have we'll have kids that, you know, won't, won't be able to develop, uh, you know, through adversity and things yeah, like yeah. that. But I, I think it's about validating. You know, you, you almost touched on it there. You were like, yeah, little Joe, I can I can see that hurt, mate. And you know what? If 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 you don't want to play, that's okay. There's no pressure for me as a dad to say to my boys. And and I've got a I've got I've got five kids, right? Two girls and three boys. And 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 one of my little boys is uber emotional. Uber emotional. And and he gets upset at everything and anything. And and I'm all right with that. And there was a point where I was like, you know, the conversation in, in inside my head's going, do I get this little kid to toughen up or what do I do? Because again, like the, the conversation around resilience and adversity and there's going to be tough challenging things in our life. But, but a good friend of me, a friend of mine, he said to me, he goes, Joe, it's, he said, believe me, it's easier to build walls for resilience than it is to break down barriers of emotions when they turn 15 and 16. Right, so validate their emotions for sure. Validate their emotions and 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 really see them for 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 the fact that they are going through a challenging time. But then, you know, again, encourage them if if they want to do it. Then we're gonna we're gonna come up with different ways to be able to do things. <laughs> I'm much older than you. I grew up in an era where it was exactly what you just said. You'll be right. Up you get. Um, and uh, as a result of that. Um, you know, most of the people I grew up with um, would never speak about their emotions. Um, and you mentioned um, earlier on before we filmed, we were talking about um, Beats, Arthur Beetson. Um, he grew up in that era too. And uh, they would never have said, I want to talk about something rather, like you know, whatever was bothering them. And uh, we, my generation, we tend to drown out whatever's be bothering us in a, in a few drinks at night. Like I don't drink anymore, but like I used to. And uh, that was how we lived. We lived our lives. I also think the older generation, um, and this is no disrespect or anything like that, is that they struggle to deal with things like emotions. Firstly, because they were they never had their emotions emotions validated. Never, either, right? And and what happens, and we see it with with older people so much as well, is that I went through things a hell of a lot tougher than you went through. So so immediately yeah. they're trying to compare yeah, yeah. generations, and you know what. I get that the older generations had it harder. You know, I, I understand well, that. I don't reckon that's I – I actually don't accept that. I reckon the younger generation – I reckon it's tougher for the younger people today. It's more challenging. 
different, different for different. I, I, I for would, different reasons. Again, yeah. my my opinion would be for different reasons, physically. Um, growing and 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 again, I'm you know I'm from an Aboriginal family, right? So I, I can only look at I can only look at that my my dad's upbringing and, and the challenges yours. that compared to mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, living in a house where where you know Nan had you know ten kids under thirty. Yeah. You know, and then and and her husband died. Yeah. You know, my That's dad. My mad. dad's died when he was when yeah. he was you know when he was very young. Yeah. You know, so and then raising raising you know 10, 11 kids by herself. You know, that's what I, in comparison to, to, to hard and tough times and fighting for a feed and things like that, you know. Um, but it's, I think there's so much more that we can that we can do as a community and as families um, about validating emotions. A really important conversation, I was, I was delivering, I was delivering some wellbeing workshops um, actually to the um, uh, MUA guys, uh, the, the Maritime Union guys. Yep. Um and one of the guys said to me, he goes, Joe, if you had an endless budget, what would you do? How would you fund it? If you had an endless budget to fix the suicide rates, mental health rates, all of that, I said, I would fund mums and dads to stay home with their kids because the the most important few years for a young person's life is in the very first years of their life where they where they create and build what they call secure attachments to their to their main caregivers and you see that play out with 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 adults now who have again inverted commas mummy problems and daddy problems with their relationships later in life and and some of those relationships go rocky because the people in these relationships are yearning for the love of mum and dad what is that? Is that isn't it a genetic thing, like some sort of you know, like a evolutionary thing? It's, that- it's attachment theory, evolutionary thing, right? So you yeah. look at you look at my people, First Nation people of this country, the oldest people in the world, right? We had multiple caregivers, right? So we didn't have one mum and one dad. Yeah, you live in the in family home now. We lived in a village, yeah. right? We live we, in the family home now. If we're lucky, we have one mum, one dad. If you're lucky, right? yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, right? And then. Mum drops you off at daycare at seven thirty in the morning for for a stranger to 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 raise you, while you go while you go to daycare and then go to school and you you we spend more time with our school teachers than we do with our real parents. Yeah, you know that's problematic and that's creating a society that's being raised having outsourced kid, having kids yeah. raising kids outsourced families hundred percent it is yeah 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 that's, and that's the biggest challenge with our communities now is that is that we have we have problem we have problems with attachment with our with our young people so we got we got young girls being being raised with without a dad in their home or without a mum in their home young boys doing the same thing right and then we're having challenging relationship problems like you you see that you see that. Um, you know, and, and I say this all the time, and I'm and I'm and I'm wary that that I'm that I'm talking about talking about one of my own kids, right? So so there might be there might be a, a some challenging times where where a young girl attracts relationships that aren't quite good for her. You know, relationships that are what we call toxic relationships, yeah, that are not, and, and and this young girl keeps going back to those same sort of relationships, and everyone goes, "Why is that young girl going to those relationships?" We all know that they're. Not I've good said for that her. about. We said people. it a thousand I, I, times. I say right? that, yeah, yeah, yeah I have. a thousand times. But yeah, that young girl isn't craving the the love of that person. 
that young girl is that little girl who's inside that young girl's head is craving the love and attachment from her father that maybe right? she didn't get that she didn't get right so that's that's exactly what it is you know so so what and 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 I'm can I'm also mindful that I'm coming from an experience where I've got five kids to three separate relationships and I left my oldest three kids at very young ages and the fact that one of those kids is a girl, there's every chance that she'll have boy problems. How old is she now? Not because Teenager? she's attracted to idiots. It's because she's a she's a she's attracted to the yearning and the love of her dad that she's so that she's missing, and she's now a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, everything's okay so far, though, because you, you as a father are particularly aware she, of this. She lives she lives here in Sydney. I live in Dubbo. Okay. Right. How do you think that goes with younger people? Do they have the level of intellect or maturity to understand what you're, it is you're trying, trying to explain? So this is the experience that I talk about with everyone, right, is that messages that you try and have with your young people, they don't quite hit when, then you're, when, they're, when they're your own. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Son or daughter? Yeah. Right, so my dad could have told me a thousand things. He's my mm. best footy coach, best boxing coach. Could have told me a thousand things, but I'll always hear it off someone else, right? And or it you'll always take notice, from and someone it else. always lands better off someone else, yeah, yeah. right? So the same thing with our kids is that, and again, I always, I always relate to the village, how First Nation people live for thousands and thousands of years with multiple caregivers, not one mum, not one dad, multiple people and multiple grandfathers and grand and grandmothers and so forth, right? So it wasn't for thousands of years, it wasn't our mums and our dads that had these conversations. It was our aunties and our uncles and our grandfathers and our grandmothers, right? So the challenge with it now is that we're going to have these conversations with our young people and they'll always be adverse to it. Yeah. Always. Because that's what that's that's human evolution. Because as human beings we weren't raised that way, right? So it's so it's so it's you know what my my oldest boy is probably closer with my dad than he is with me. Does that hurt me? That only hurts my ego. Yeah, because if I know the way that the family structure and kin structure has always been for thousands of years, I know that he was closer to his grandfather than he was his father. So for me, I've got to cut those strings and trust. That his grandfather and grandmothers will give them give the right messages. My job is to be the authoritarian and say to him, "These are the things that you can and can't do." Here's the boundaries. Yeah, these dude. are the boundaries. These yeah. are the things that you can and can't do. It's the 
the village that helps to raise our kids. It's funny, I, when I, I was just thinking, we all do this, I mean, I was thinking about myself because we're all, we all end up thinking about ourselves. And you now I grew up in a, a Greek family, an Irish family, and they both, like that, like my dad's side, my God, he's got five brothers and there's, you know, all got aunties and they're all the aunties who were tough Greek women and uh, and, uh, and grandma and grand, my grandmother and grandfather and uh, and on my mum's side sis, she had sisters and uh, everyone had an opinion and often we get pulled up not by my parents but by my aunties and my uncles. Hey, hey, what are you doing, Mark? Mm. Just stop being that way, you know, be more respectful. Shake your hand. My uncle will pay your hand. Hi, Mark, how are you? And said in Greek, you'd have to respond back in Greek. He wouldn't, otherwise he wouldn't um, shake your hand. My, my parents are pretty passive um, family. Mum and dad were really quiet. But my it was my uncles and aunties who live with us, by the way. Talk about elders in, in our community, right, First Nation communities. We, we always think that we have a responsibility to them, and we do, right? But... But I, but I was also speaking to a special old fella and he said to me, he goes, Joe, not only is the responsibility to be to the elders, but the older also has an obligation to the young pe- to the young person, the young people, to be able to share their their knowledges, share their experiences. So so grandmothers and grandfathers are, are so important to our young people. And this is what's been so challenging with with the pandemic over the last few years, is that Oh, people, totally. people were isolated from each other, and they couldn't speak to each other. And and it was got, an evil, mate. Yeah, I was, oh, for me, for me, it was you're 100. Sure, they did. I know why they did it. Got all that. Yeah, because it was a it was a health issue, a general. Health. But at the same time, they denied us of our natural our natural instincts. It went against everything that the way human beings have evolved since the beginning of time. And I, I found it. Um, I, I wasn't happy with it. I mean, I, that's all I can say. I don't want to make a political statement. I just thought it was wrong. In, in hindsight, it was wrong. Um, we should have been more free. I'm not saying we should have just opened up the train systems and the shopping centres. I'm talking about that. But making people not been able to visit their family. My mild man, who's like nearly 90, couldn't come to my place on Christmas twice because of it. Um, and, they, and that nearly killed me. Well, you just mentioned something about the village. And that, that is something that's been in existence in your communities forever. I think, um, and again, like it, it, it's just over thousands of years of evolution and a hell of a lot. I also have to acknowledge that a hell of a lot on the East Coast of who we are as, as First Nations people has been, I won't say lost because lost, lost is the, is, isn't the right term for it. It was, it was stolen away from us as far as knowledge-based systems. We're assimilated into a, into a new way of life. So we're we trying to allowed. push it out. We weren't allowed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, because they we wanted you to adopt to, their yeah. thing. We yeah. weren't allowed to live a certain way of life, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the the truth of the knowledges or the actual, you know, on-point knowledges have been, have been taken away from us and then um, over many, many years and generations. So we adopt we adopt modern ways of doing things where we will just refer to elders as auntie and aunties and uncles right but it but it all relates back to that village we had a, a mother birth mother yep. birth father yep. but then all of mum's brothers and sisters were our mums and dads too. You, you would call them that well they they were, they were referred to as their mums and dads yeah. really yeah so so again like we've sort of got a code switch a bit because we say oh that's our that's our mum on a, no it's our uncle you know, so yeah, so yeah. again, we're like people mis- misunderstand the fact that 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 First Nation kids code switch every day of the week when 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 doing this sort of stuff. So they have to in the family home they refer to 
you know, aunties and uncles and elders and so forth like that. But they're actually our that were that were always seen as our mums and dads. And again, because of those family attachments and those those family systems that were so tight and looked after and loved. The fact that we've lost that, and again, we're living. Have you lost? Do you we're, think? we're living. Well, of course we have. Like human beings are evolved to be in groups. There, there's a brilliant, brilliant book, and I refer this book to everyone. It's called What Happened to You by Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry. Uh, and in that, I always quote this. Dr. Bruce Perry said in this book something to the effect of how ironic that the cultures that have been most marginalized throughout the world will be the cultures that we turn to to heal our modern woes. And yeah, yeah, you only have to look at at certain challenges with the environment that we're having we're looking at now traditional fire practices and and what we did, what our mob did to look after the land for thousands and thousands of years. Because the difference is we didn't see that the land as a commodity. We saw the land as our family and the land we worked with rather than working against. Things with like fire, you know, fire, the conversation of fire today is a, a scary topic because we're scared of fire because of the devastation that it caused you know, a couple of years ago and, and, and you know, things like that. So the fact that we worked with fire, you know, a, a brilliant, brilliant uh, elder, Uncle Paul Gordon, I, I talk about Uncle Paul so much because when the bushfires were on, right? Yep. And I, and I rang him up and I said, Uncle, can't, can't we make this fire stop? And, and, and people said, what do you mean make it stop? You know, like I, I, I've seen with my own eyes and I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't been there witnessed, I've seen – I've seen old people turn the rain on and off like it's a tap, right? I've seen it with my own eyes. Make it rain. You can, you can question as much as you want, but there's but there's documentaries about it. There's there's all sorts of stuff, right? And I said, I can't, can't we make it rain to stop the fires? You know, there's people losing their their houses, their lives. Fuck, man, what do you say? You say yes. You know what he said to me? He said, brother, that fire's working for us, not against us. And I said, what do you mean? Like there's a billion animals that have been perished in this fire. Well, that's what they said. Well, that's what they said. Yeah, yeah right? I remember that. 19, 2019. And, and, and he said, they're just like us. They go back into the circle of life. When they die, they go back into mother. Their spirit gets reborn into something else. So our belief system is that when we die, our spirit goes back up into the stars and is reborn down into something else, whether it be – trees, animals, you know, that's why we talk about our totem systems, right? So we have immense respect for country because it's who we are. When we die, we go back into the earth, right? So we become the earth. And then them old rocks and them old trees, they're everything of our old people, our ancestors. So when we put the ochre, the paint on us, that's rubbing the blood and bones of our old people on us to be with us for things like ceremony and dance and you know, things like that. So when he said that fire is working for us, not against us, fire has spirit too. We have to learn to work with fire, not against fire. And now you see the conversation change two years later around traditional fire practices and non-Aboriginal totally. people coming and saying, all right, like we've had multiple farmers. That we, we did a burn uh, up on the north coast Um which was next door to Uncle Uncle Paul's property, and he just let let the neighbours know. He said, "We're, we're going to do a burn over here," and and they were a little bit freaked out because you know it was just after the bushfires and so forth. And and then you know you look six to twelve months later, the 
the place is beautiful. The place is beautiful because all of the fuel was taken away. The seeds propagate back into the earth, new generation, regeneration of, of new plants, of, of new, new different species. You know, it brings in the animals again. Like it's, it's, it's the thing that our people did for thousands of years that, that haven't been lost, that are still going, that we need to turn to to help heal the modern challenges that we have in our world. I remember uh, during the bushfire period that there was a lot of discussion around uh, the reason the bushfire started is because the um, fuel that was had been left laying there by national parks or whoever it was by, for a long, long period of time were, um, caused the problem and that that a lot of Aboriginal elders had actually said or, or advice had come from them to say actually go back, not backburn, whatever it is, I don't know what the word is, not backburn. Or Cultural burn. Yeah, just yep. get rid of it. And uh, But the, the the argument was, I oh, know, but that's uh, interfering with nature. And But the, the, the point being, and I actually thought it made logic, a lot of sense to me, get rid of the fuel so we don't have the major drama. And, uh, and just it's just and now, as you say, that's that's the new um, the new uh, process. You know, that's that's actually being adopted by all the national parks, everybody like that. And in fact, they're doing it right now. I, I, I want to go on to something really important, Joey. Like you, you're, I watch, I look at your Instagram, and I've been watching you, following you for a long, long time. Um, and you have TW on there and uh, on your pages, and TW stands for um, the enemy within. Um, tell me about. That what does that mean? The enemy within, and that I, um, is that with all within all of us, or within you, or what we're talking about? I think now? it started from with me, um, but it's but it's definitely within all of us. And who is the enemy? You what know? is the enemy within? It's that voice of that little person inside us that we're challenged by unmet needs as a baby. And should we look at it as an enemy, or do we make it an enemy? In 2012, I got to the lowest I ever got to, right, and and had a suicide attempt and ended up in psychiatric facilities and all of that sort of stuff. So I've been challenged with this, what I call the enemy within, since I was a very young age. What I can remember it back to is on the on the back of my first concussion, the back of my first serious head knock as a young kid. Footy? First playing footy as a young kid. And... It started a conversation in my head that told me that I wasn't good enough, that I'd never amount to anything and that I should progressively got to, that I should not be here anymore. As that voice got louder, then come the booze, the alcohol and just trying to disassociate from what was what it was, you know, cover it up, band-aid it. Moved to Sydney then to play, when I come down here to play footy and found recreational drugs and then had, again, a, a few red-hot years of alcohol and drugs and... And then I, that, as we go back to what we were talking about at the start, like that was a, that was a, alcohol and the drugs were the band-aid for what was going on in my head, right? Every negative thing that was happening physically was was a catalyst, was actually a reaction to what was happening inside my head, you know, the, the inner chat that we always have. Um, so I've called it the enemy within because I've had that that demon all my life that talk negative to me to this day. How right. do you deal with it? I, how do I deal with it? There's, there's, there's certain things and practices that I've done over many years to, to get me to this point, and I'm, and I manage it a hell of a lot better than what I do now. And I, you know, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and and all of those things. So the huge highs, the huge lows. But essentially, what I do to to manage it is go back to that quote by by Dr. Bruce Perry: "Living the way that our old people used to live in a modern context." Right, and how we do that is by living with the old values that our old people used to live with. 
right? And how all our old values were associated by the old stories, the old stories of not being too greedy, the old stories of sharing with each other, going love and care and respect for each other. So essentially what I do is about other people, right? So I, I try and do as much when I'm not well, I try and do as much as I can for other people. You know, like I was, I was in the oncology ward so visiting, visiting a friend's daughter yesterday, right? And just what, what that does just brings a hell of a lot of gratitude for what the things that I've got in my life. It gives you sort of perspective. Perspective on life, on everything, not just for me, but for everything around me, right? So, so the more I start to do things for others, whether it be charity events, whether it be, you know, fundraisers and things like that, the more I'm doing for others and less fortunate people, you know, feeding the homeless and, 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 and things like that, the more it gives back to me. Not physically from things, mm. but the more it, it helps my spirit. It's sort of in. A, it's, I mean, I had the same conversation with Danny Abdullah, who was sitting right there a little while ago when he was talking about forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, when he forgave those that guy who you know, killed his kids when he ran over him. The reason he exercises forgiveness, and maybe the reason why you're doing things for others, is in a weird sort of way, selfish act because you're doing it for yourself too um, because it, but at the same time it's not selfish because you're not taking anything from anybody so you're helping somebody you're giving something to them but at the same time you get yeah. probably equal amounts or maybe more back from those from that act or that process my perspective of forgiveness is it's about you not about others yeah you know what no matter what it is or, or, or the circumstance it is forgiving someone else is about freeing your mind yeah rather than forgiving them for something that they did. Right. So for me, if I'm going to forgive someone, that's about me letting go of it. Yeah. Rather than about letting them off the hook. And right. the same in terms of what you're doing, though, what you're saying, like, you know, going to oncology wards or helping them, feeding the homeless, et cetera. When you're at the, the low end of your, your bipolar, you know, and you're feeling like shit, it's about giving yourself perspective. I'd like to see you talk more to footy teams and footy players. I mean, you're doing much of that because uh, these young guys. You, you can't you can't talk to people where you're not asked, Mark. Yeah. Well, I you mean, know. I just think the NRL should be getting clubs, should be getting someone like you to talk to these young fellas, um, especially about, uh, you know, these um, basic fundamental values that you're talking about. Also um, the highs and lows of footy. Yeah, oh, you mate. Know, mate, I, I played, you know, 50, 49 NRL games. I, pro I probably should have played a hell of a lot more. And it's because oh, well, I didn't I work you, hard. You definitely should have because you had all the talent in the world. It's because I didn't work hard enough. It's because I thought everything was going to come to me. And it's because I I, I expected everything. I had a, it was almost like I had an entitlement because I was signed as a 13-year-old yeah, yeah. kid, you know, that sort of thing. And and everyone said, oh, Joe Williams. You know, Gus, I was talking to Craig Walker, uh, who's – who's uh, Development. Uh, yeah, development of the Roosters now. And he said, I remember when Gus flew you down as a 14, 15-year-old kid and it was when Lammy was injured – from through the origin period. And he said to you, Joe, as a 14, 15 year old kid, go out there with, and, and run halfback with first grade. And I was telling Freddie what to do. I was pushing Fletch around, those sort of things as a 15 year old kid. So not only does that have an expectation of others of what this kid's going to do, it also pumps my tires a little bit, you know, and I'm thinking things are going to come a little bit easier than what, than what they did. I want to ask you something and, and you can, maybe you can help me out here. I've seen, your community be referred first off as Aboriginals, then as Indigenous, now as First Nations. Can you just help me out here? I mean, how should we refer to your community? Remind me your background, Mark. Greek and Irish. Greek and Irish, right. Mm. So are you European? 
No, I, I might see myself as an Aussie with but, European but, parents. But European, European background, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So European My father's background, born in Greece, yeah, yeah. Right? European background. Your father's born in Greece. Greece. Is he referred to someone who's from Greece or from someone who's from Europe? Uh, they say Greek Australian. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, but but what I'm trying from to say Europe. is that that the fact that Europe is made up of many different countries, yeah. we can refer to people who has their specific country. If your father's from Greece, we should say he's from Greece, yeah. rather than just getting lazy and say, "Oh, he's from somewhere he's European, Europe. yeah, just yeah. somewhere yeah, over yeah, Europe, yeah. right?" So, so I think as well, what people don't understand, all right, with our communities, is that we're made up of over 500 separate nations, right? So you look at you look at the map of Europe. There's all the, we can't say that somebody from 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 Greece is Italian. Yeah, yeah. Just because they're from Europe. Yeah, yeah. We can't say that Italian are from France. Yeah. Just because they're from Europe, you know. So I'm a Wiradjuri Wogaloo man. From I'm from two two countries, right? Two nations. You mean, but parents, right? But parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so my father is Wogaloo, which is right at the base of the Snowy Mountains, um, and little little place called Brungle, um, in between Gundagai and Tumut, uh, and then Wiradjuri. Uh, which is the big, the big one of the you know the biggest bigger nations, particularly in 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 New South Wales. Mum's side of the family's from from Wiradjuri, so and Dad's Wiradjuri both, you know. So I, I refer to me as Wiradjuri Wogaloo rather than just Indigenous or and we say First Nations. It's not. It's interesting that you said that. You know, it's it's not about making a point that we're here first. We know that we're here first. It's up to you to learn that we're here first now, right? The First Nations. How I would describe that is that we are the first nations of the original nations. So this land that we now call Australia is made up of over 500 separate nation groups, right? And what we said for a long time was Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people, so right? So what people don't understand as well is that they're two separate peoples, yeah, right? So then they just say, oh, they're Indigenous, but Torres Strait Islander people and Aboriginal people are different people. Why are we lumping them in the same? Like why are we lumping French and... Italians in the same as just Europeans. Yep. Right? They're, they're two separate peoples or, in our case, 500 separate peoples that we should be taking the time to learn about, understand, and make a relationship with. I, you know, I, I struggle with this I struggle with this conversation of reconciliation, right? Because and, – and, and people have said to me, you know, like some of the things that you've done are harmful for reconciliation, Joe. I'm like, reconciliation? To reconcile is to heal a broken relationship. There's never been a relationship, Mark. For 230-odd years, we've only been told to live a certain way. The way that we've lived for thousands of years has never been respected. The way that we lived for thousands of years that was sustainable for thousands of years has never been in the conversation. The, the fact that you're a man who doesn't know particularly a hell of a lot about our community in this place you now call Australia, right, the term Australia has only been around since 19, 1901. Right. It, it, in reference to thousands and thousands and thousands of years of individual separate nation groups that travelled, that shared with each other, that shared song and story and dance and food and, and ceremonies with each other, you know, across thousands of years. We've got the oldest documentation of, of human existence here in this country and you're telling me you don't know a great deal about it. I don't know who to ask and I don't know where to find the information. I'm not going to go on Google, of course, but it's always it's better if it's told to me. I mean like like someone like yourself telling the story. So like 
I, I, I reckon most people would know the importance of a smoke ceremony. Most of us have sort of heard about it, but what is the importance of it? So that's the difference with our communities again, right? So our communities, we won't come out and tell you, right? Again, if I go in, and I've been in hundreds and hundreds of communities across this, this country, right? So I won't go in and they won't tell me what to do. I'll ask them yeah, yeah. what I should do. Right. So you said something important earlier. You said that that the that there's a disconnect between the the Sydney relationship between the Aboriginal people here and the people in Adelaide in the country area. Between Adelaide yeah. in the country area, right? Well, I only observed that this year. Yeah, there's strong and there's staunch Aboriginal people here in the middle of Sydney. I ask how many times have we reached out to them to have a conversation with them? Hmm. Start to learn about them. Again, they can tell you everything you need to know about you. The non-Indigenous people can't tell us anything about us. I said to the, the mayor at, at Wagga a couple of years ago, we had a beautiful, beautiful celebration back in Wagga. It was the first corroboree gathering, get together for about 150 years. And he said, Joe, this was beautiful. I wouldn't have missed this with the world. I said, this is a seat at our table. And he said, what do you mean? I said, we've been sitting at your table for 230 years getting food scraps. It's time to learn about us now. The oldest existence of mankind, Mark, lived right here on our doorstep and people can't tell us about us. We can tell you everything you need to know about you in the last 230 years, you can't tell us about us. It needs to be a conversation. Joe Williams, thanks very much, mate. This is intriguing as, as usual and uh, as everything I expected it to be and I hope to see you very, very soon, mate. Mark, uh, pleasure to be here, mate. And you know what? As a country, I think we can grow. Yep. And it just go. The only way we grow as people is through relationships. We just start to reach out the hand and start to develop our relationships. Mate, here's my hand. Good job. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.